Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. I must say, in my opinion, one of the most spectacular displays in all of nature is lightning. It's capable of traveling at speeds of 140,000 miles an hour and reaching temperatures of 54,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's capable of lighting up even the darkest sky, but just for an instant, and then it's gone. It strikes suddenly and without warning, and as quickly as it appears, it vanishes. And while it is brilliant and spectacular in its display, it's also dangerous and deadly, capable of leaving behind great devastation and destruction in its path. And the entrance of Elijah the prophet is a lot like a strike of a bolt of lightning. We've actually already seen in our series, The Triumph of God and the Ministry of Elijah the Prophet, that these dark clouds have formed over Israel, clouds of sin and rebellion, as Ahab, the king in Israel, has instituted idol worship by building an altar to Baal and placing it in the house that he had built for Baal in the capital city of Samaria. We've also read that Hiel of Bethel built Jericho in complete defiance of God's word. And now into the midst of this spiritual darkness steps Elijah the prophet, illuminating this scene with God's truth. We see Elijah piercing the darkness of Israel's apostasy and stumbling toward exile with the light and the power and the severity of God's word. Indeed, like a bolt of lightning, Elijah's appearance is all at once sudden, beautiful, but also devastating. And we read of Elijah's entrance onto the scene of Israel's history in 1 Kings chapter 17, just the first verse. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Again, just one verse this morning from 1 Kings chapter 17, so you can open your Bibles and turn to that passage. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to locate a paperback Bible underneath one of the seats in front of you. And that verse can be found on page 170 of those paperback Bibles. But again, we're just going to be looking at one verse this morning, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. So if you're able, I invite you to stand briefly for the reading of God's word. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Well, the first thing that we can look at in connection with Elijah's entrance from 1 Kings 17.1 is Elijah's sudden appearance. This sudden appearance. One of the reasons that Elijah's entrance is like a bolt of lightning is because it's so sudden. He appears to come out of nowhere. Who is he? And where has he come from? And the text actually gives us very little information about any of this. He's a Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead. And that's it. How old he is, what, what he's been doing before this time, how the Lord and when the Lord called him to this specific task, we're not given any of those details in the text. And actually, right off the bat, there's a lesson here for us to consider in this. Because if you have a tendency to think of God as some kind of heavenly HR director of human resources who's looking for some kind of impressive resume or notable credentials before he'll employ us in kingdom work, that you have to have the right degrees from the right schools, you have to be from the right kind of clean, decent family, 
You have to have influential connections and references. If that's our concept of God, then we can dispense with that notion by noting the lack of any mention of these things with Elijah the prophet. Not to mention, we also have a lack of mention of any of those things connected with Jesus' very own disciples. In fact, it seems like the only connection that Elijah the prophet needs and the only connection that you and I need to glorify God and to advance the kingdom is a connection to the Lord God himself, a connection that is forged out of faith to believe that God is, he exists, he lives, and to worship him alone and to serve him above all others. Those are the credentials that we need. And those are the credentials that Elijah has. Now at the same time, we also need to recognize that Elijah's calling here is very different from any of the callings that we receive. Because unlike us, Elijah is called to be a prophet. And as a prophet, Elijah is an instrument of divine revelation. So that when Elijah speaks as a prophet, he's not speaking just words of his own personal opinion. He's speaking the very words of God as God's messenger, as God's ambassador. He is the word bearer of God, delivering the very word and message of God. And on top of that, Elijah is also quite unique because he has a very distinguished place among all the prophets throughout redemptive history that we read about in the Bible. For example, consider that the Old Testament ends by anticipating Elijah's return in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. And then the New Testament begins by showing us the birth of John the Baptist who is said to come in the power and the spirit of Elijah in Luke chapter 1 verse 17 and also consider that Elijah makes his very own appearance in the pages of the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration where he is standing there with Jesus alongside Moses Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets the law and the prophets code language for the Old Testament standing there on the Mount of Transfiguration pointing to Jesus and talking about his redemptive work because that's what the Old Testament is about, pointing to Jesus and foreshadowing his redemptive work. But it's Moses who's representing the law and Elijah who in a very special way is representing all of the Old Testament prophets. Not Isaiah, not Jeremiah, not Daniel, but Elijah is his representative. And so given all of this, it becomes even more surprising that we don't get more information about Elijah upon his sudden appearance until we remember that as important as Elijah is as a prophet of God, it's God and his message, not his messenger, that is paramount. It's God himself and his message more than the messenger that is paramount. And Elijah himself seems to recognize this when we consider the first words we hear from him that basically form his stated allegiance. And so we want to look secondly at Elijah's stated allegiance. Remember, at the time of Elijah, the covenant people are drifting from the Lord and from his word and turning to Baal. And so when Elijah shows up, it's this burst of light in the midst of Israel's spiritual darkness. But his first words recorded are kind of this stated allegiance, which puts him in contrast to the darkness around him and the condition into which he enters. And he speaks these words, not as a whisper. He speaks them with no hint of hesitation, shame, or embarrassment. Instead, he speaks them with the kind of courage and conviction that's necessary to speak words of light and truth into a kingdom that's falling into idolatry and the darkness of immorality. He very clearly declares his allegiance before the pro-Baal king 
Ahab with these words that we see in verse 1. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives. Now, you might notice in your English Bibles, the word Lord there is probably all in caps, but the capital O, capital R, capital D are smaller than the capital L. This is how English translations often translate the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, or what was sometimes called Jehovah. And I sometimes wonder if we'd be better off actually translating in our English Bibles this word Yahweh instead of Lord, simply because Lord is a title in English usage. It's a title that we give to somebody. It's not a personal name. But Yahweh is a personal name. And it's in the name of this God specifically that Elijah comes to appear before King Ahab. And we're not really told how Elijah seems to dodge all of the secret service guards around King Ahab because he seems to speak these words directly to the king himself. It's almost as if he storms past these guards and shows up before King Ahab wearing a My God is Yahweh t-shirt, like the kind of person that goes to Lucas Oil Stadium to watch the Colts games wearing a Patriots hat and a Patriots jersey. And we actually had people wearing Patriots jerseys in the first service. I don't think we have anybody here. But then cheering for the Patriots the entire time by being surrounded by Colts fans. It seems like the wrong place to be cheering for the right God. And yet I know that Elijah's probably not wearing a My God is Yahweh t-shirt because I don't think they wore t-shirts at this point in time in the Middle East. But he doesn't have to be wearing a t-shirt because keep in mind that his very name proclaims a message. It declares his truth. It identifies his allegiance. It challenges the status quo and his very name marks him apart from all the darkness that's around him because Elijah's very name means My God is Yahweh. That's what his name means. And so now he's appearing before this king who has instituted Baal worship with this bold message. He says, as the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives. Now, interestingly, this is the same language that we've already encountered in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, where we're told that King Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, that's the exact phrase, the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than any of the kings who were before him. And so Elijah is confronting King Ahab in the name of the God that Ahab has offended and has provoked to anger by his evil ways. And he reminds King Ahab in this language that it's Yahweh who is the God of Israel, not Baal, not Ahab himself, but God is the Lord of Israel. They are his covenant people, and as his covenant people, they're called to covenant faithfulness to him. But you, Ahab, are causing them to go astray by instituting Baal worship. And the Lord takes notice of this because the God of Israel lives. He sees, unlike the lifeless and powerless idols like Baal, whose powerlessness God has sent Elijah to eventually expose, and it will be soon exposed. So these are very bold and courageous words of stated allegiance that Elijah speaks before King Ahab. And what gives Elijah such courage and conviction to speak boldly is his conscious awareness that he stands ultimately not before King Ahab, but that he stands ultimately before a greater king, the king the Lord, the God of Israel. Because what he says is, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. He is conscious that he ultimately stands before 
the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it's that recognition, the consciousness, the consciousness of that, that gives us the kind of courage necessary to speak God's word and shine light into darkness, being aware that we ultimately stand before the maker of heaven and earth himself, who is all-powerful, powerful enough to equip us with all that we stand in need of to do what he's called us to do. And he's able, even in the midst of persecution, even when people try to put us to death, even if people do put us to death, that the God Elijah serves is able to raise his faithful servants from the dead to give them life, and he will ultimately judge all the opponents of his kingdom. It's important that we're aware of that, that we might have courage and boldness in the midst of a kingdom of darkness. This is what Ed Welch writes. He says, God must be bigger to you than people are. Since there is no room in our hearts to worship both God and people, Whenever people are big, God is not. Therefore, the first task of escaping the snare of the fear of man is to know that God is awesome and glorious, not other people. And it's actually this recognition that also allows us to echo the words of the psalmist in Psalm 118, verse 6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. So it's not only Elijah is aware that he stands before this God is that we can be aware also that this Lord is on our side. This all-powerful God is on our side. And so why tremble at the attacks and why be deflated at the ridicule of hostile unbelief that might surround us? Elijah is showing us here that the one who stands before the Lord God Almighty in faith need not stand before anyone else in fear. The one who is conscious of standing before the Lord God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth in faith, need not fear anyone else. And so maybe some of you need to be reminded of that. Maybe you've been paralyzed by fear of saying some things that need to be said, of doing some things that need to be done in front of other people, on behalf of other people, because you've lost sight that you ultimately stand before the Lord God of heaven. And that's what we need for boldness and courage. That's true for you. That's true for me. It was true for Elijah. And Elijah speaks these bold and courageous words before King Ahab without fear, even though that message is a message that is not a happy one. He doesn't bring good news. And so we need to consider, third, Elijah's severe announcement. Elijah announces that there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. This is not good news. It's a severe announcement because Israel is dependent upon seasonal rains for the production of their crops, for their livelihood, to sustain their life. This severe announcement by Elijah threatens their livelihood. But it's necessary because what the people need to understand is that their livelihood is already being threatened by the institution of Baal worship in their midst. It threatens their life at an even deeper level. It threatens their communion and fellowship with the God of life. And the fact that dew is also mentioned in connection with this is significant because in the plains of Jezreel, in this area where Elijah is ministering, the dews could be very heavy and could actually support vegetation for sustenance. But Elijah says there's not even going to be any drizzle coming. In short, it's going to be a complete and utter drought. And there's not going to be a single drop of moisture coming from the skies above Israel except at the word of Elijah himself. A very severe announcement. There might be a little bit of irony in it too because we've been talking about how storm clouds have uh, developed over Israel of sin and rebellion and Elijah comes in like a bolt of lightning 
And his first announcement is, there's not going to be any rain. This is going to be a storm that doesn't have any rain. And though ancient kings were known to put to death the bearers of bad news, Elijah is faithful to declare this kind of severe announcement before King Ahab. But there's some other things we need to understand about this severe announcement. One of those things is that it's an announcement of covenant curse. This is an announcement of covenant curse. Hundreds of years earlier, through the mouth of Moses, the Lord declared to his people that if they were faithful to the covenant and would walk in obedience, then they would receive the blessings of the covenant. And one of those blessings included seasonal rains. But Moses also declared that if the people were to walk in faithlessness, if they were to break the covenant, walk in disobedience and follow after other gods, they would experience covenant curses. And those covenant curses included, guess what? Drought. We read of those covenant curses in Deuteronomy chapter 28, general verse in verse 15 about the curses coming down, but then more explicitly in verses 23 and 24, we read about the curse of drought. This is what we read in Deuteronomy 28. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Now here's where we get to the specifics. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze and the earth under you shall be iron the lord will make the rain of your land powder from heaven dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed this is an announcement of covenant curse the people are being unfaithful to the lord and to his word by turning to baal and so the lord is being faithful to bring about his covenant curses announced in his word the people are being unfaithful but the lord is continuing to be faithful and this drought is announced ahead of time so that the people can understand that this is not a demonstration of Elijah's skill as a meteorologist. It's announced ahead of time so that people can understand that this is God bringing about covenant curse. And the validity and the truthfulness of God's word will be confirmed in this. Every day, in every farmer's field, and in every backyard in Israel, the truth of God's covenant word will be confirmed in the bringing about of these curses in the dry, cracked, parched ground beneath Israel's feet the word will be confirmed but there's something else that's going on here as well that we need to understand about this severe announcement and if you haven't noticed it yet it's this this is an announcement of direct challenge a direct challenge is being levied here but it's not Elijah challenging Ahab it's bigger than that it's the Lord Yahweh challenging Baal because let's not forget that storms and rain are the supposed domain of Baal it's his area of specialty it's the sphere of his power and so Elijah's words here in this announcement is a direct challenge to Baal those there's no better way to confront Baal worship than through this announcement and so maybe we could put it in a rather crass way that the Lord God of Israel is going to lay the smack down on Baal and that's probably the first time the phrase lay the smack down has been used in the pulpit but that seems to be what's happening here. In withholding rain and dew, God is going to put on display the impotence of Baal. And he's going to show his people Israel that rather than being a God of fertility, Baal is actually a God of futility. Not one of fertility, but futility. And this announcement is going to put that on display. The ancient worshipers of Baal would sing the words of this song. The heavens rain oil, the wadis run with honey, so I know that the mighty one Baal lives. Lo, the prince, the Lord of the earth, exists. And it seems like the Lord comes to 
his people Israel and comes to Ahab through Elijah the prophet and says, well, let's just see about that now. How much life and fertility will Baal be able to confer upon Israel when the true God of heaven and earth, in the words of Dale Ralph Davis, turns off his faucet? How much life and fertility will he be able to give then? And so there is this great dramatic contest that we're moving toward that happens on the top of Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18. And Lord willing, we'll get there in, in due time to 1 Kings 18. There is this dramatic contest, but that contest begins right here at Elijah's entrance when he makes this severe announcement. It begins right here in chapter 17, verse 1. But as severe as this announcement is, let us not lose sight of the grace that's in it. Let's not miss the grace that is in this severe announcement because into this spiritual darkness, in order to halt the wandering hearts of the people, in order to expose the emptiness of their idols so that they will turn from those idols and turn to the one true source of life and blessing, God sends the light of his word. He doesn't leave the people or abandon them in their sinfulness, but instead he pursues them by grace in the word. Now it's true he might be pursuing them in the suffering of covenant curse, but he's pursuing them nonetheless. This is grace, to pursue a wayward people and into our own spiritual darkness in order to halt our wandering hearts, in order to expose the emptiness of our own idols, to turn us from those idols to the one true source of life and blessing, God still sends the light of his word and the truth of his word to us. He does not abandon us to our sinfulness or leave us in our sins, but he pursues us by his grace. And he might pursue us in the pain of discipline, and he might pursue us in the pain and the humility of conviction of our sin, but he pursues us by word and spirit nonetheless. And this is grace. This is grace for us. But we are the recipients of a greater grace than the people at Elijah's time were receiving through the prophet Elijah. Because with Elijah's entrance, covenant curse is announced, but that's all the prophet Elijah could do was announce covenant curse. He couldn't deliver from covenant curse that was deserved because of sin. But we have a greater prophet and we have a greater light that has broken into our darkness. And he's done more than just announce covenant curse. He has borne those covenant curses himself so that we could be saved and delivered and rescued from God's wrath and from that curse and instead receive blessings. And that greater prophet and that greater life is Jesus of Nazareth. He is that greater light. 